irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. The planet Uranus is the seventh planet from the Sun. It has the third largest planetary radius and fourth largest planetary mass in the solar system. Uranus is similar in composition to Neptune, and both are of different chemical composition to the larger gas giants, Jupiter and Saturn. Thus, astronomers sometimes place them in a separate category called ice giants, Uranus's atmosphere, although similar to Jupiter's and Saturn in its primary composition of hydrogen and helium, contained more ices such as water, ammonia, and methane, along with traces of hydrocarbons. It is the coldest planetary atmosphere in the solar system, with a minimum temperature of 49 degrees Kelvin or minus 224 degrees Celsius and has a complex layered cloud structure with water throughout to make up the lowest clouds and methane, the uppermost layer of clouds. In contrast, the interior of Uranus is mainly composed of ice and rocks. Uranus is the only planet whose name is derived from a figure from Greek mythology rather than Roman mythology like the other planets. 
It comes from the Latinized version of the Greek god of the sky, Auronus, like the other gas planets. Uranus has a ring system, a magnetosphere, and numerous moons. The Uranian system has a unique configuration among those of the planets because of its axis of rotation is tilted sideways nearly into the plane of its revolution about the sun. Its north and south poles therefore lie where most other planets have their equators. In 1986, images from the Voyager 2 showed Uranus as a virtually featureless planet invisible light without the cloud bands or storms associated with the other giants. Terrestrial observers have seen signs of seasonal change and increased weather activity in recent years as Uranus approached its equinox. The wind speeds on Uranus can reach 250 meters per second or 900 kilometers per hour or 560 miles per hour. Though it is visible to the naked eye, like the five classical planets, it was never recognized as a planet by ancient observers because of its dimness and slow orbit. Sir William Herschel announced its discovery on March 13th in the year 1781, expanding the known boundaries of the solar system for the first time in history. Uranus was also the first planet ever discovered with a telescope. Uranus had been observed on many occasions before its recognition as a planet, but it was generally mistaken for a star. Possibly the earliest known observation was by Hipparchos himself, who, in the year 128 BC, may have recorded the planet as a star for his star catalog that was later incorporated into Ptolemy's Almagest. The earliest certain record sighting was 1690, when John Flamsteed observed it at at least six times, cataloging it as 34 Tari. The French astronomer Pierre Lemonard observed Uranus at least 12 times between the years 1750 and 1769 including on four consecutive nights. Sir William Herschel's observed Uranus on March 13, 1781, while in the garden of his house at 19 New King Street in the town of Bath, Somerset, 
England, which is now the Herschel Museum of Astronomy, but initially reported it on April 26, 1781, as a comet. Herschel engaged in a series of observations on the parallax of fixed stars using a telescope of his own design. He recorded in his journal, In the Quantaro near Tari, either a nebulous star or perhaps a comet. Then on March 17th he noted, I looked for the comet or nebulous star and found that it is a comet, for it has changed place. When he resented his discovery to the Royal Society, he continued to assert that he had found a comet, but also implicitly compared it to a planet. Quote, The power I had on when I first saw the comet was 227. From experience I know that the diameters of the fixed stars are not proportionally magnified with higher powers, as planets are. Therefore, I now put the powers at 460 and 932 and found that the diameter of the comet increased in proportion to the power, as it ought to be, on the supposition of it not being a fixed star, while the diameters of the star to which I compared it to were not increased in the same ratio. Moreover, the comet being magnified much beyond what its light would admit of appeared hazy and ill-defined with the greater powers, while the stars preserved that luster and distinctiveness from which many thousands of observations I knew they would retain. The sequel had shown that my surmises were well-founded, thus prov- proving that to be the comet we have lately observed. End of quote. Herschel notified the astronomer royal Neville Masculine of a discovery and received his flummox reply from him on April 23rd. I don't know what to call it. It is as likely to be a regular planet moving in an orbit nearly circular to the sun as a comet moving in a very eccentric ellipse. I have not seen any coma or tail to it. Although Herschel continued to cautiously describe his new object as a comet, other astronomers had already begun to suspect otherwise. Russian astronomer Anders John Lexel was the first to compute the orbit of the new object, and its nearly circular orbit led him to a conclusion that it was a planet rather than a comet. Berlin astronomer Johann Elbert Bode described Herschel's discovery as a moving star that can be deemed to adhere to unknown planet-like object circling beyond the orbit of Saturn. Bode concluded that its nearly circular orbit was more like a planet than a comet. The object was soon universally accepted as a new planet, 
By 1783, Herschel himself acknowledged this fact to the Royal Society, President Joseph Banks. By the observation of the most eminent astronomers in Europe, it appears that the new star which I had pointed out to them in March of 1781 is a primary planet of our solar system. In recognition of his achievement, King George III gave Herschel an annual stipend of 200 pounds on the condition that he moved to Windsor so that the royal family could have a chance to look through his telescopes. Now we needed to name the new planet. Masculine asked Herschel to do the astronomical world a favor to give a name to your planet, which is entirely your own, and which we are so much obliged to you for the discovery of. In response to Maskelyne's request, Herschel decided to name the object Georgium Sidus, or George's Star, or the Georgian Planet, in honor of his new patron, King George III. He explained this decision in a letter to Joseph Banks. The letter said, In the fabulous ages of ancient times, the appellations of Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn were given to the planets as being the names of their principal heroes and divinities. In the present more philosophical era, it would hardly be allowable to have recourse to the same method and call it Juno, Pallas, Apollo, or Minerva for a new name to our new heavenly body. The first consideration of any particular event or remarkable incident seems to be its chronology. If in any future age it should be asked when this last found planet was discovered, it would be a very satisfactory answer to say, in the reign of King George III. Well, as you can imagine, Herschel's proposed name was not popular outside of Britain, and alternatives were soon proposed. Astronomer Jerome Lalande proposed that it's named Herschel in honor of its discoverer. Swedish astronomer Eric Prosperin proposed the name Neptune, which was supported by other astronomers who liked the idea to commemorate the victories of the British Royal Naval Fleet in the course of the American Revolutionary War by calling the new planet even Neptune George III or Neptune Great Britain. Bodhi opted for Uranus, the Latinized version of the Greek god of the sky, Uranus. Bodhi argued that just as Saturn was the father of Jupiter, the new planet should be named after the father of Saturn. In 1789, Bodhi's Royal Academy colleague Martin Klaproth named his newly discovered element uranium in support of Bodhi's choice. 
Ultimately, Bodhi's suggestion became the most widely used and became universal in 1850 when Her Majesty's Nautical Almanac Office, the final holdout, switched from using Georgium Sidus to Uranus. Uranus is named after the ancient Greek deity of the sky Uranus, the father of Kronos, Saturn, and grandfather of Zeus, Jupiter, which in Latin became Uranus, and is the only planet whose name is derived from a figure from Greek mythology rather than Roman mythology. The pronunciation of the name Uranus preferred among astronomers is Uranus with the stress on the first syllable as in the Latin Uranus in contrast to the colloquial Uranus with the stress on the second syllable and a long A sound though Both are considered acceptable. Uranus revolves around the sun once every 84 Earth years. Its average distance from the sun is roughly 3 billion kilometers, or about 20 astronomical units. Remember, an astronomical unit is 93 million miles, or the distance from the Earth to the Sun. The variation of that distance is greater than that of any other planet at 1.8 astronomical units. The intensity of sunlight reduces quadratically with distance, and therefore on Uranus, at about 20 times the distance from the sun compared to Earth, it is about 1 400th the intensity of light on Earth. Its orbital elements were first calculated in 1783 by Pierre-Simon Laplace. With time, discrepancies began to appear between the predicted and observed orbits. And in 1841, John Couch Adams first proposed that the differences might be due to the gravitational tug of an unseen planet. In the year 1845, Urbain Le began his own independent research into Uranus orbit. On September 23, 1846, Johann Gottfried Gall located a new planet, later named Neptune, at nearly the position predicted by Lavier. The rotational period of the interior of Uranus is 17 hours 14 minutes clockwise, or retrograde. As on all giant planets, its upper atmosphere experiences 
strong winds in the direction of rotation. At some latitudes, such as about 60 degrees south, visible features of the atmosphere move much faster, making a full rotation in as little as 14 hours. Uranus has an axle tilt of 97.77 degrees, so its axis of rotation is approximately parallel with the plane of the solar system. This gives it seasonal changes completely unlike those of other major planets. Other planets can be visualized to rotate like tilted spinning tops on the plane of the solar system, whereas Uranus rotates more like a tilted rolling ball. Near the time of Uranian solstice, one pole faces the sun continuously where the other one faces away. Only a narrow strip around the equator experiences a rapid day-night cycle. But with the sun low over the horizon, as in the Earth's polar regions, the other side of Uranus's orbit, the orientation of the poles towards the sun is reversed. Each pole gets around 42 years of continuous sunlight, followed by 42 years of darkness. Near the time of the equinoxes, the sun faces the equator of Uranus, giving a period of day-night cycles similar to those seen on most other planets. Uranus reached its most recent equinox on December 7, 2007. One result of this axis orientation is that, averaged over the Uranian year, the polar regions of the Uranus receive a greater energy input from the Sun than at its equatorial regions. Nevertheless, Uranus is hotter at its equator than at its poles. The underlying mechanism that causes this is unknown. The reason for Uranus's unusual axial tilt is also not known with certainty. But the usual speculation is that during the formation of the solar system, an Earth-sized protoplanet collided with Uranus, causing the skewed orientation. Uranus's south pole was pointed almost directly at the Sun at the time of Voyager 2's flyby in 1986. The labeling of this pole as south uses the definition currently endorsed by the International Astronomical Union, namely that the north pole of a planet or satellite is a pole that points above the invariable plane of the solar system, regardless of the direction the planet is spinning. 
A different convention is sometimes used, in which a body's north and south poles are defined according to the right-hand rule in relation to the direction of rotation. In terms of this latter coordinate system, it was Uranus's north pole that was in sunlight in 1986. So, pick your poison. From 1995 to 2006, Uranus's apparent magnitude fluctuated from a positive 5.6 and a positive 5.9, placing it just within the limit of the naked eye visibility, which, by the way, is a positive 6.5. So it just barely makes it. Its angular diameter is between 3.4 and 3.7 arc seconds, compared with 16 to 20 arc seconds for the Sun and 32 to 45 arc seconds for Jupiter. At opposition, Uranus is visible to the naked eye in dark skies and becomes an easy target even in urban conditions with binoculars. In larger amateur telescopes with an object diameter between 15 and 23 centimeters, Uranus appears as a pale cyan disk with a distinct limb darkening. With a large telescope of 25 centimeters or wider, cloud patterns as well as some of the larger satellites such as Titania and Oberon may be visible. Uranus's mass is roughly 14 and a half times that of the Earth, making it the least massive of the giant planets. Its diameter is slightly larger than Neptune's and roughly four times Earth's. A resulting density of 1.27 grams per cubic centimeter makes Uranus the second least dense planet after Saturn. This value indicates that it made primarily of various ices, such as water, ammonia, and methane. The total mass of ice in Uranus's interior is not precisely known, because different figures emerge depending on the model chosen. It must be between 9.3 and 13.5 Earth masses. Hydrogen and helium constitute only a small part of the total between 0.5 and 1.5 Earth masses. The remainder of the non-ice mass, 0.5 to 3.7 Earth masses, is accounted for by rocky material. The standard model of Uranus's structure is that it consists of three layers. A rocky, known as a silicate iron-nickel core, in the center. 
an icy mantle in the middle, and an outer gaseous hydrogen-helium envelope. The core is relatively small, with a mass of only 0.55 Earth masses, and a radius less than 20% of Uranus's. The mantle comprises its bulk with around 13.4 Earth masses, whereas the upper atmosphere is relatively insubstantial, weighing about 0.5 Earth masses and extending for at least 20% of Uranus's radius. Uranus's core density is around 9 grams per centimeter squared, with a pressure in the center of 8 million bars, or 800 gigapascals, and a temperature of about 5,000 Kelvin. The ice mantle is not in fact composed of ice in a conventional sense, but of a hot and dense fluid consisting of water, ammonia, and other volatiles. This fluid, which has a high electrical conductivity, is sometimes called a water-ammonia ocean. According to research conducted at the University of California, Berkeley, the extreme pressure and temperature deep within Uranus may break up the methane molecules with the carbon atoms condensing into crystals of diamond that rain down through the mantles like hailstones. Very high-pressure experiments at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory suggest that the base of the mantle may comprise an ocean of liquid diamond with floating solid diamondbergs. Can you believe it? Raining diamonds. Wow. The bulk composition of Uranus and Neptune are different from those of Jupiter and Saturn, with ice dominating over gases, hence justifying their separate classification as ice giants. There may be a layer of ionic water where the water molecules break down into a soup of hydrogen and oxygen ions, and deeper down, superionic water in which the oxygen crystallizes. But the hydrogen ions move freely within the oxygen lattice. Although the model considered above is reasonable standard, it is not unique. Other models also satisfy observations. For instance, if substantial amounts of hydrogen and rocky material are mixed in the ice mantle, the total mass of ices in the interior will be lower, and correspondingly, the total mass of rocks and hydrogen will be higher. Presently available data does not allow science to determine which model is correct. The fluid interior structure of Uranus means that it has no solid surface. The gaseous atmosphere gradually transitions into the internal liquid layers, 
for the sake of convenience, a revolving oblate spheroid set at the point of which atmospheric pressure equals one bar, or 100 kilopascals, is conditionally designated as a surface. It has an equatorial and polar radii of 25 kilometers. This surface will be used throughout science as a zero point for altitudes. Uranus' internal heat appears markedly lower than that of the other giant planets in astronomical terms. It has a lower thermal flux. Why Uranus' internal temperature is so low is still not understood. Neptune, which is Uranus's near twin in size and compositions, radiates 2.6 times as much energy into space as it receives from the Sun. Uranus, by contrast, radiates hardly any excess heat at all. The total power radiated by Uranus in the far infrared part of the spectrum is 1.06 times the solar energy absorbed in its atmosphere. In fact, Uranus's heat flux is only 0.042, which is lower than the internal heat flux of Earth of about 0.075. The lowest temperature recorded on Uranus topopause is 49 degrees Kelvin or minus 224 degrees Celsius, making Uranus the coldest planet in the solar system. One of the hypotheses for this discrepancy suggests that when Uranus was hit by a supermassive impactor, which caused it to expel most of its primordial heat, it was left with a depleted core temperature. Another hypothesis is that some form of barrier exists in Uranus's upper layers that prevents the core heat from reaching the surface. For example, convection, convection may take place in a set of compositionally different layers, which may inhibit the upward heat transport, perhaps double diffusive convection is a limiting factor. Although there is no well-defined solid surface within Uranus's interior, the outermost part of Uranus's gas envelope that is accessible to remote sensing is called its atmosphere. Remote sensing capability extends down to roughly 300 kilometers below the one bar or the 100 kilopascal level with a corresponding pressure around 100 bars and a temperature of 320 degrees Kelvin. The tenacious corona of the atmosphere extends remarkably over two planetary radii from the nominal surface 
which is defined to lie at a pressure of one bar. The Uranian atmospheres can be divided into three layers. The troposphere, between altitudes of minus 350 kilometers, and pressures from 10 to 0.1 bar. The stratosphere, spanning between altitudes of 50 and 4,000 kilometers, and pressures between 0.1 and 10 to the minus 10 bar. And finally, the thermosphere corona, extending from 4,000 kilometers to as high as 50,000 kilometers from the surface. Interesting enough, there is no mesosphere on the planet Uranus. The composition of the Uranian atmosphere is different from its bulk consisting mainly of molecular hydrogen and helium. The helium molar fraction, which is the number of helium atoms per molecule of gas, is 0.15 in the upper troposphere, which corresponds to a mass fraction of 0.26. This value is close to the protostellar helium mass fraction of 0.275, indicating that helium has not settled in its center like it has in the gas giants. The third most abundant constituent of the Uranian atmosphere is methane. Methane produces prominent absorption bands in the visible and near-infrared making Uranus aquamarine or cyan in color. Methane molecules account for 2.3% of the atmosphere by molar fraction, below the methane cloud deck at a pressure level of 1.3 bar or 130 kilopascals. This represents about 20 to 30 times the carbon abundance found in our sun. The mixing ratio is much lower in the upper atmosphere owing to its extremely low temperature, which lowers the saturation level and causes excess methane to freeze out. The abundances of less volatile compounds such as ammonia, water, and hydrogen sulfide in the deep atmosphere are poorly known. They are probably also higher than solar values. Along with methane, trace amounts of various hydrocarbons are found in the stratosphere of Uranus, which are thought to be produced from methane by photolysis, induced by the solar ultraviolet radiation. They include ethane, which is C2H6, acetylene, which is C2H2, methylacetylene, CH3C2H, and diacetylene, C2HC2H. Spectroscopy has also uncovered traces of water vapor, carbon monoxide, and carbon dioxide in the upper atmosphere, which can only originate from external sources, 
such as infalling dusts and comets. The troposphere of Uranus is the lowest and densest part of the atmosphere and is characterized by a decrease in temperature with altitude. The temperature falls from about 320 degrees Kelvin at the base of the nominal troposphere at minus 300 kilometers to 53 kilometers. The temperature in the coldest upper region of the troposphere, the tropopause, actually varying the range between 49 and 57 degree Kelvin, depending on the planetary latitude. The tropopause region is responsible for the vast majority of Uranus's thermal far-infrared emissions, thus determining its effective temperature of 59.1 degrees Kelvin. Very, very cold. The troposphere is believed to possess a highly complex cloud structure. Water clouds are hypothesized to lie in the pressure range of 50 to 100 bars, or 5 to 10 millipascals. Ammonia hydrosulfide clouds in the range of 20 to 40 bar. Ammonia and hydrogen sulfide clouds between 3 and 10 bar. And finally, directly detected thin methane clouds at 1 to 2 bar. The troposphere is a dynamic part of the atmosphere, exhibiting strong winds, bright clouds, and seasonal changes. Finally, the upper atmosphere. The middle layer of the Uranian atmosphere is the stratosphere, where temperature generally increases with altitude from 53 Kelvin in the tropopause to between 800 and 850 degrees Kelvin at the base of the thermosphere. The heating of the stratosphere is caused by absorption of solar UV and infrared radiation by methane and other hydrocarbons, which form in this part of the atmosphere a result of the methane photolysis. Heat is also conducted from the hot thermosphere. The hydrocarbons occupy a relatively narrow layer at altitudes between 100 and 300 kilometers, corresponding to a pressure range of 10 to 0.1 millibar, and temperatures of between 75 and 170 degrees Kelvin. The most abundant hydrocarbons are methane, acetylene, and ethane, with mixing ratios of around 10 to the minus 7th relative to hydrogen. The mixing ratios of carbon monoxide is similar at these altitudes. Heavier hydrocarbons and carbon dioxide have mixing ratios three orders of magnitude lower. The abundance ratio of water is around 7 to 10 to the minus 9th. Ethane and acetylene tend to condense 
in the colder, lower part of the stratosphere and tropopause, forming haze layers, which may be partially responsible for the bland appearance of Uranus. The concentration of hydrocarbons in the Uranian atmosphere above the haze is significantly lower than that in the stratospheres of other giant planets. The outermost layers of the Uranian atmosphere is the thermosphere and corona, which has a uniform temperature of around 800 to 850 degrees Kelvin. The heat sources necessary to sustain such high levels are not understood, as neither the solar UV, the extreme UV radiation, nor the auroral activity can produce the necessary energy to maintain these temperatures. The weak cooling efficiency due to the lack of hydrocarbons in the stratosphere above 0.1 millibar pressure level may contribute also. In addition to molecular hydrogen, the thermosphere corona contains many free hydrogen atoms. Their small mass together with the high temperatures explain why the corona extends for as far as 50,000 kilometers or two uranium radii from its surface. This extended corona is a unique feature of the planet Uranus. Its effects include a drag on small particles orbiting Uranus, causing a general depletion of dust in the Uranian rings. The Uranian thermosphere, together with the upper part of the stratosphere, corresponding to the ionosphere of Uranus. Observations show that the ionosphere occupies altitudes from 2,000 to 10,000 kilometers. The Uranian ionosphere is denser than that of either Saturn or Neptune, which may arise from the low concentration of hydrocarbons in the stratosphere. The ionosphere is mainly sustained by solar UV radiation, and its density depends on the solar activity. Auroral activity is insignificant as compared to Jupiter and Saturn. Before the arrival of Voyager 2, no measurements of the Uranian magnetosphere had been taken, so its nature remained a mystery. Before 1986, astronomers had expected the magnetic field of Uranus to be in line with the solar wind because it would then align with Uranus's pole that lie in the ecliptic. Voyager's observations revealed that Uranus's magnetic field is peculiar, both because it does not originate from its geometric center and because it is tilted at 59 degrees from the axis of rotation. In fact, the magnetic dipole is shifted from the Uranus's center towards the south rotational pole by as much as one-third of the planetary radius.
This unusual geometry results in a highly asymmetric magnetosphere, where the magnetic field strength on the surface in the southern hemisphere can be as low as 0.1 Gauss, whereas the northern hemisphere, it can be as high as 1.1 Gauss. The average field at the surface is 0.23 Gauss. In comparison, the magnetic field of the Earth is roughly as strong as either pole, and its magnetic equator is roughly parallel with its geographical equator. The dipole movement of the Uranus is 50 times that of the planet Earth. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.